Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Right? Um, a lot of you don't know, two weeks ago, <laughs> I had a few praying, but I had an attack, a kidney stone attack, half an hour before service. And so I was here, preaching full of meds, and made it through. And so uh, when I asked for prayer last night and this morning on our messenger group, it makes a difference, right? Like we don't realize sometimes, um, you don't know sometimes what we go through before we get up here on a Sunday. And I just want to say that God is faithful. And uh, I shared about this throat of mine to ask for prayer. And then I thought after, well, I need to be asking for prayer every Sunday. <laughs> it's not just, not just that my God would touch my voice today and help me. Uh, to preach his word, but we need help every Sunday, uh, whatever we do. I know Nola said something about the organ was acting up today, and we didn't notice Nola, but praise God. that. Uh, so there's things like that from week to week. Uh, a lot of people don't know what goes on behind the scenes, and uh, the issues, and, and all those things. And God just comes in through his Holy Spirit and begins to move, and we don't even notice it. And so that's how God works. And I thought, you know, I wonder what we all did before we had all this. Uh, we would still gather and with the Lord, and the Lord would move. I, I remember when Pastor Mike and I first got saved, it was a small church in Mississauga. We were just a small group, but God began to move in that church. And there was a piano and an organ. It didn't have some big worship band. And, and, but God moved, and people were getting saved week after week. And I know Pastor Sheila could probably tell the stories as we've read her book about how God's moved and evangelism uh, services in the past. And so I think, I think we need to just believe that God can move. Amen. Amen? That God can move even in this season. That God can move in our families in a new and a fresh way. And uh, we've been praying for that. Um, I, I did share this on the messenger group, and I don't know why God, the Holy Spirit, has told me now to share it, but I want to share it to encourage you. It has nothing to do with the message. And that seems to be evident this year. <laughs> uh, but um, we had a major breakthrough in our family, and I've already received my Christmas gift, in the fact that a few weeks ago, a niece that my uh, brother um, is the father, the one that's deceased, my brother that's deceased, uh, he's the father of Tara. And the last time we've all seen Tara, she was four, five years of age. And we lost contact with her. And so my brother, before he passed, the last time I had seen him, he was wondering about Tara, wondering what had happened to her, was waiting and longing for her to show up at his door, and nothing happened. And then my mother, my mother, after my brother's passing, was so concerned for Tara, and even my mother's concern, uh, the last that I had seen her, she mentioned Tara again, and so my mom since has passed. And I'm going to encourage you today, because God has answered those prayers, my mother's prayers especially, because Tara, through uh, some kind of strange circumstance, we've been able to be in contact with Tara, and Tara's been in contact with us. And so we've been reconciled. She's now 34. This is after 30 years, not seeing her for 30 years. We have been reconciled with Tara. And she's just so thrilled to know that her father, and to know more about her father, and to know now her father's side of the family. And I just want to say to you, what a wonderful gift. You can't put a price tag on that. You can't buy that in a store. <laughs> That's just a gift from heaven above. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Was our scripture today on the messenger group. And I want to encourage you today. Keep praying. 
I know that story many times. My stepfather came to faith after his mother was long gone, but he knew it was his mother's prayers that brought him to that place of faith in his 60s. And so I want to say to you, we keep on praying and we keep on believing, even if we do not see it with the physical eye, we believe that God is on the move and God is doing what he needs to do in this day. And God has got this. God is still in control. I think I needed to be reminded of that this morning. God has got this. God's got this pandemic. And even Omicron, he's got that figured out. Right? And we need to believe that, that our God is in control. Nothing surprises him. And, you know, we can see that as we go to this fourth Sunday of Advent, as we've traveled through and we're here now on love, this peasant king, and, and, and we think uh, the term I'm using is a revolution, a revolution of love. We think about the uh, Christmas carols, and I don't know, uh, you know, a lot of people get tired of hearing them if you work if you work in the stores, you're sick of them. <laughs> but, but I love the Christmas carols, and, and uh, I think one of my favorites is What Child Is This? And maybe you want to show it. What's some of your favorite Christmas carols? Don't all jump at once. Oh, Beautiful Star of Bethlehem. Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know? Beautiful one. Yeah. Anyone else? Come all you faithful. Silent Night, yes. That's a very that's one of the most popular in the world, right? In many, many different languages. Anyone else? Mine is come and raise your bell like the Christmas tree. Yes. Yeah, I've heard that one. Yeah. And and I like um, Little Drummer Boy because my earliest memories was I was only four or five, maybe five or six. And um, the Salvation Army Corps there in Cornerbrook, a large church, 400, 500. And uh, I remember I was part of the choir as a child, and they, it was a Christmas Eve service, and it was a candlelit service, and they dressed us in those white robes, and we had the big red bows, and they were playing Little Drummer Boy, and we had to walk up. Very, they made us practice that more so than the singing, of us walking up the aisles with candles in our hands and the hot wax. I remember that, but I love that song, and it's always stayed with me because of that. Well, I say all that today because this is a carol. This is actually the first carol. This is the first song, and it's called the Magnificat. Stanley Jones says the Magnificat is the most revolutionary document in the world. This is where everyone, when you uh, <clears throat> study this passage of Scripture, when you look at it, they keep using this term, revolutionary. Dangerous, subversive. And I think we just sing it at Christmas or look at it and we just think, oh, isn't that nice? Mary burst forth in song. But it's not a lullaby. It's not uh, soft sentimentalism. It is a song of love, of revolutionary love. And so it talks about a world that's turned upside down. The rich will be turned away and God will lift up the poor and the hungry, and the arrogant, the leaders will be brought low. That's why it was a dangerous song. And it's a song about God's mighty power breaking into a world in new and unexpected ways. And it's about a revolution that's about to happen. And it's a different than any revolution that history has ever seen. It is a revolution of love. One of the reasons why it's a revolution of love is Zechariah is silent while Mary sings. 
And you say, well, pastor, what's so revolutionary about that? Now, remember, Zechariah is a priest. And he is, uh, he is, he is uh, a religious leader. He is looked upon in the whole town with favor. And so now he is selected. It's his turn to go into the Holy of Holies. There were so many priests in those days that they would wait and wait and see if they would be the ones selected to go in to the Holy of Holies. And Zechariah now in his old age is actually selected. It's his turn. And so there's much excitement. And all of Israel that would have been around the temple at that time, they stand on the outside and they watch because they're not allowed in. Only he's allowed in. He's his religious leader. And, and so he goes into this Holy of Holies and has an encounter with the angel. By the way, they would tie a rope to their ankles so that if they dropped dead in the presence of God, they could at least pull their bodies out and bury them. <laughs> and so people are trying to understand what's going on in there. It's not, it's not like any regular Sunday or Sabbath. <laughs> it's not like any other regular day. And so they know something's going on. And what it is is Zechariah has this encounter with an angel. And the angel says to him, your wife, Elizabeth, is with child. And Zechariah <laughs> won't believe it because Elizabeth is very old and so is he. And he's like, there is no way she is with child. And then the angel says, because you didn't believe, you're not going to speak anymore. And so he comes back out, and they know something's up because he can't talk. Nobody knows, I'm sure, over time, he shared with Elizabeth as he wrote out what happened there. And so there's nine long months of silence. After nine months, Zechariah will sing. But Luke opens up his gospel, and we're not seeing Zechariah, this religious leader that everyone holds up in high esteem, singing the first song here. We see this young, teenage girl. Many believe probably around the age of 14, 15. She's the one who begins to burst forth in song. She's the peasant girl from an, an obscure village. And when she's confronted by an angel, she submits to the Lord's will. And she says in verse 38 of chapter 1, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. So where do we see this revolution happening here? Well, Zechariah, male in a patriarchal system, religious leader, doesn't get it. When this young teenage girl does. That's revolutionary. And see, God does the most unexpected things and works with the most unexpected people. He works in ways that none of us would expect. Or would see, and he works through people we wouldn't expect. You know, David, I thought of that wonderful example of David. David is the one, while his brothers are the warriors and the king is a warrior, there is Goliath taunting them and taunting their God. And all of Israel is watching in fear. And young David, the shepherd boy, with nothing but a few rocks and a slingshot, says, I can take this. Man, And part of it is he's angry by the way he's talking about his God. God uses people you would not expect. And David is an example of that. So Mary's song here is revolutionary. Because God is working through a young teenage girl from a town that nobody knows. The Messiah, as we'll see at his birth, doesn't come with power and war and through money. 
but comes through poverty, humility, and an ordinary, obscure person. Also, there's something interesting here, that Luke's gospel starts with two women. And interesting enough, because we're saying that it is a male world, it is a patriarchal system, and yet Luke opens his gospel with these two women. And so, not long after Mary saying yes to God, she starts this journey. <clears throat> it would have been about a five-day trip to her cousin Elizabeth. Actually, that five-day trip, we believe that because tradition says that they lived close to Jerusalem. And so Mary is there and she meets up with Elizabeth and we know that beautiful story. That there's that story of all of a sudden John the Baptist leaps in his womb in the presence of Mary and the child she has conceived, the Messiah. And so they have this encounter, but these two women have a dream. These two women have a dream that the prophets of old dreamed of. They dreamed of a day when God would come and make everything right. They dreamed of a day when God would win. They dreamed of a day when he would have victory over the bullies and the power brokers and the forces of evil. Like they were living in under Herod and the tyranny of Rome. And these two women searched the scriptures. They knew the word of God. They were soaking themselves in the Psalms and the writings of the prophets. And they were longing and they were waiting for this day of mercy and hope and fulfillment and reversal and revolution. God was coming to the rescue at last. And he would finally win the victory over evil. And all of this then is poured out into this song of Mary. Now, we did say, Mary, did you know? And Pastor Mike and I tried to sing that last night in our prayer time. One of my favorites. But I began to realize as I studied this week, Mary did know. Yep. Mary knew a lot. As we can see in this song. And so she knew because you know why we say she was a person of God's word? And she knew God because her song echoes scripture, echoes Old Testament scriptures. And so the words of Hannah seen in Samuel, 1 Samuel uh, chapters 1 and 2, she, listen to this, she refers to Psalms. Psalm 34, 2. Psalm 35, 9. Psalm 11, 9. Psalm 89, 10 to 11. Psalm 107, verse 9. Psalm 98, verse 3. And she even refers to the minor prophets, Job and Micah, and even references back to Genesis 18, verses 7 and 9. And so this is revolutionary because ultimately everybody had been waiting for a prophet. And we have said that the prophet, the first prophet we hear is John the Baptist in the Gospels. But the truth today, the first prophet you hear is Mary. That Mary is taking on this role. A young teenage girl, a young teenage girl from an obscure village is taking on the role as a prophet of God. As she says this song. Because she's reminding the world how God is working. That he is faithful. And he has worked in the past. And he is with us now. And this is what God is going to do in the future. And the Messiah is going to come and bring his upside down kingdom. That is going to turn the cultural norms on their heads. And it is a revolution of love that is breaking in. And so this female dialogue in the beginning of Luke 
is against the very fabric of Luke's society, against the very fabric of their society. Women were not to be heard. Women were seen as property. Women didn't have a voice. They were not allowed to be a testimony or a witness. They were not allowed to worship with the men. And here in the beginning of Luke, Luke uses two women to be the people who bring forth God's word. I thought there'd be a few amen. And see, already we're seeing the reality that Paul said in Galatians 3.28, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for all you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Luke, in the writing of this gospel, already is bringing forth that truth, what the gospel has done for us. It has brought us all to a place of equality before God. All are important to God. And so this, God begins to speak through these two women. And God is birthing this new kingdom through these women who are waiting with anticipation. And then we see the song that is about this love song. It is the greatest love story ever told. Now hear me right, when I say love song, I'm not talking about sappy sentimentalism or romantic I am talking about, as we talked about that first Sunday of Advent, I'm talking about commitment, hesed, God's love for us is long-suffering. God's love for us is loyal, even when we're not loyal. It is about faithfulness. God is committed to you. He loves you, period. That was the greatest story ever told, love story ever told. I shared this story with the couple's retreat <clears throat> Pastor Mike doesn't know I'm going to share this, but we had the joy to uh, go on a cruise for our 25th wedding anniversary. They did an open house and a, a money tree for us, and we had never really been on a nice trip together as a couple. And so on our 25th anniversary, the next spring, we went on our first cruise. Oh, I like cruising. I haven't done a whole lot of it lately. And it was so nice because we were on the cruise ship down in the Caribbean on uh, Valentine's Day, back I think it was 2004, Valentine's Day, and so we got all dressed up for the big dinner, you know, you had to wear formal wear, and then the captain, some of them that were at retreat know this, the captain was out uh, calling out on the radio saying to everybody, we're going to meet down in the atrium, and there was all these different levels, and everybody was looking down over them, and he said, we're all going to, all the couples are going to renew their vows, because it's it's Valentine's Day, and we're going to do this as a ship. We're going to renew our vows. And I look over at him all googly-eyed. And... Good one. And, and I say to him, oh, honey, wouldn't it be so special to go and renew our vows? Because I'm thinking romantic, right? Like all, and, and sappiness, that's what I'm thinking. And uh, Pastor Mike said, no, I'm shocked. <laughs> and then he said to me, I don't want to do that. And I thought, well, it kind of defeats the purpose if he doesn't want to do it. <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense. And then he said to me something that I've always remembered. I loved you then, and I love you now. I was committed to you then, and I'm more committed to you now. And on that note, we went back to our room. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the love you need, my friend. That's the love we still share with one another after 43 years. 
That's why we made it from 25 to 43, and hopefully with God's help we'll make it further. But that's the kind of love that is needed, not sentimentalism, not sappiness, but a loyalty and a deep commitment that I am committed to you no matter what. And where do we find that love? The most is we find that in God. And that's what Mary knows as she sings this. She talks about God's love. She rejoices in God. She thanks God. She glorifies God. And she speaks of the strength and the power of God in his mighty arm. And so we see in her song is this moral revolution. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. But she talks about him lifting up the humble. And you see there is this moral revolution that begins to happen. And when we accept Christ, there's this moral revolution that begins to happen in our spirits and our souls. Because we can't go around around in any pride. Because we even spoke about that on Wednesday night. We're called to crucify the flesh. That's what we're called to do now in Christ. And that any time that the flesh tries to rear its ugly head and tries to get its own way or tries to be rude and obnoxious with people, there's something, there's a moral revolution that's happened in my heart, a transformation that all of a sudden I am quickened to the spirit because I know that it's in humility and brokenness that I come before the Lord. One of the power of the Holy Spirit is he begins to show us how we really are when we come to Christ. And we begin to say, woe am I. And we come in brokenness and humility. And John the Baptist, that was in Elizabeth's womb, later would say, as Pastor Mike shared, that, you know, may he increase and may I decrease. There is this moral revolution that happens where now the humble are the ones who are lifted up in God's kingdom. Then we see there is a social revolution. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones. And so now all people are treated equal. We already talked about that. There is that leveling. We talked about that last week. That social leveling. There is no hierarchy. There is no, I'm the great high priest and you're some small peasant girl there. In God's eyes, we are all equal. We've said it over and over again and I'll keep saying it. At the cross is level ground. And so in the church of Jesus Christ, we are all treated equally. Doesn't matter if you've been in the church 50 years or you just walk brand new in the door. Everyone is important to God, therefore important to us. And there is this social revolution that happens that the person who is struggling financially sits next to the person who is quite wealthy. There's also this reality, in a moment we'll see an economic revolution, but there is this, there is no hierarchy in the church. There is no outsiders and insiders. You know, it's interesting. Muratus was a wandering scholar of the Middle Ages, but he was poor when he was traveling. And while he was traveling, he ended up in hospital sick. And then the doctors were discussing his case in Latin. And as they were discussing his case in Latin, they said that they suggested that he was just a worthless man, a worthless wanderer, just a poor pauper. And they said, why don't we use him for our medical experiments? They're saying all this in Latin over him. And Muratus looked up and answered them and said, this is a famous statement of his, call no man worthless for who Christ died. Powerful statement. Call no man worthless for who Christ died. We heard this week, we were listening to our devotional, and we were heard this week about uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu. And all that happened with apartheid, because the anniversary was this week, 
and all that happened. But you know where it started? <clears throat> and I thought it was interesting. It started back when he was a child of six. And there was a lot going on in South Africa at that time. And he was out walking with his mother as a child. And of course, them being black, they were seen as they had no right in certain parts of South Africa. They had no value in that system. And yet when they were out walking, a priest was walking towards them. And the priest took off his hat in honor of his mother and kept on walking. He greeted her. And Desmond Tutu, at six years of age, was taken back by that. What is it about this man? What was it about what he represented that saw the value in my mother and greeted her that day in that way? Oh, there's many stories he could tell you, but we could see that that Christianity has birthed the social revolution to the point where it can even change nations and lives. And so we also see it also brings an economic revolution when she says he has filled those who are hungry and those who are rich he has sent away. Society without Christ is a dog-eat-dog world. It's about who can I step over to get what I want and need. I still remember, I laughed about something recently we watched and they were talking about the Cabbage Patch doll and I remembered that. I would never want to go through that again. Some of you are too young, but there was a point one Christmas, everybody had to have a Cabbage Patch doll, boys included. And we were all trying to get our kids the Cabbage Patch doll for Christmas. And I remember at Zeller's, they literally had to bring police officers in. It was so bad. And, uh, and, and just that, how crazy people, to get their kids that doll, they were really literally getting into fistfights with people in the store. They didn't know what to do. And so it just shows you that it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world if we're not careful. But not so for us in Christ. For us in Christ who have received economic blessing, we know that we've been blessed for what? We talked about this last week. To bless others. That we hold on what we have with an open hand because we know ultimately it's all God's and God has given it to us. And now the Lord giveth and the Lord can take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's all His. And so because of that, we are good stewards of what he's given us. And we know that our responsibility now is to care for the poor. It is our responsibility to share. This is why you heard about this so much in the early church. And so Mary is there singing this song, which is a wonderful love song. It is a love song of this love revolution that was about to be birthed. And so we see that this is the, one of the most famous songs of Christianity. It's the famous, most famous carol. It used to be uh, whispered in the monasteries. And it's been chanted in cathedrals and recited in small country churches. And even set to music as Bach set this beautiful song to music. And you heard the Gettys sing it at the beginning of our service today. Somebody said, it is the gospel before the gospel. It'll be 30 weeks before Bethlehem. And it'll be over 30 years before the cross and Easter. But yet Mary knows something. Mary is aware of what God is about to do and what God wants to do through her. And so we know that these boys that are in Elizabeth's uh, womb and the son that is conceived 
in her womb made John jump for joy when Mary approaches and Jesus has just been conceived but she is giddy and full of joy and triumph as the time has finally come for this revolution of love and she bursts forth in this song. Let's remember that love isn't fragile. Love cannot be easily broken. It comes in power, but it also comes in ways we do not expect. And it comes through people we would never expect. It didn't come through the religious. It didn't come through the power or the prestige. Prestigious. It came through a young, peasant, teenage girl. Where do we think God wants to break in this Christmas? Who is God wanting to use this Christmas? I want you to know today that God, all throughout history, has used the people least expected. As the worship team comes, I want to share this story. You've probably heard this one before. A church was in need of a pastor for some time, but was having trouble getting one, and not because pastors weren't applying, but because the congregation always seemed to find fault with the pastors. Most pastors were rejected when the people just read their resume. Some didn't have enough experience, some too much, some not enough education, some too much, and so on and so on. And one day the board member, one of the board members, who was getting really tired of this, decided to do something, so the next Sunday he got up in the pulpit and announced that he had another resume to share with the congregation. Most of them sat back, folded their arms, and began to listen, ready to see what faults they could find on the new applicant. And the board member began to read, and the resume went like this. Dear church members, I'm writing to apply for your position as pastor. My experience is more along the lines of evangelists, but I believe I could fill your position adequately. I've never attended my Bible school per se, but I have a lot of field experience. I don't have a degree on my wall or a wall for that matter. I've traveled around most of my life, renting and doing odd jobs to support myself and preaching wherever I was invited, churches, streets, even jails. As a matter of fact, I've been thrown in jail several times and have been involved in a few public squabbles. I've been accused of being anti-Semitic, anti-authority, and causing disturbances almost everywhere I go. But I did have a few conversations to Christianity, conversions to Christianity during my ministry, as well as a few healings. Thank you for considering my application. Most of the people looked up, and the deacon with smirks of condemnation while others chuckled out loud. One man stood up and still laughing asked the deacon, does this guy actually expect us to seriously consider him as our pastor? Just what's this fellow's name anyway? The deacon replied, the letter was signed, the Apostle Paul. You could have heard a pin drop. See, I want to say to you today, God's ways are not man's ways. God uses people that most people would overlook. God works in mysterious ways. God uses people that none of us would expect. And God works in ways, Christmas tells us, that none of us would expect. And so this revolution of love was birthed in this young teenage girl.
from an obscure village. And it makes me think today, what could God birth in us this Christmas? What unexpected things could he do for us and around us, like my niece Tara and having that reconciliation after 30 years? What is God wanting to do that none of us have expected? But then I had to ask myself this question. If this is really a revolution of love, then how can I this Christmas do something for someone else that they wouldn't expect? That they could see the love of God in a way that they would know that they too can be a part of this revolution of love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that you are in the business of using people that no one else would expect. Yes, Lord. As I started with that story of David, and when we think of little Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Yes, As we think of Mary, this young girl, willing to do what God had asked, and from that obscure village, People would say later when Jesus, they found out Jesus was the Nazarene, that Jesus was from Nazareth, the common. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That, Lord, you do not take the proud or the popular or the way that people think you should work. You work, and that's what the birth is all about. You work in new and fresh and unexpected ways. Yes, Lord. God, I pray first of all today that we would know this revolution of love, that we know Jesus, not just enough to know him at the manger, but we know him at the cross. <laughs> and we know him at that empty tomb. Yes. And we have proclaimed him as our Lord and our Savior. Now, God, we are a part of this revolution of love that wants to turn this world and its ways upside down. And more importantly, as somebody said, upside right. Yes, Lord. And we want to be people, Lord, that we can go about and see the kingdom of God break in through us. Show us this week. Yeah, things have changed. We didn't get the news we wanted to hear on Friday. But we can still be about your business this yes, week. Lord. And help us to do those things and show the love of God in new and unexpected ways, mm -hmm. I pray. And God, I pray today, if there are people in this church that they have, are feeling the call of God in their hearts and lives. God, I say amen to it. And it might not be a 14-year-old. It might be a 74-year-old. Mm -hmm. Whoever it might be, Lord, may we say as Mary did, yes, Lord, yes. May it be so. Here I am as your servant. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.